Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Stand with me as we read God's word together. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Pray with me. Father, help us to understand this statement and your response and its power in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Do you sometimes struggle sensing God's presence? If you do, you're not alone. David did, as well as many others in the Bible. Even Jesus felt distant from his heavenly Father on the cross, which is why he quoted Psalm 22, and we'll look at that briefly in just a minute. So today's message is entitled, When God Seems Far Away. When God Seems Far Away. The Bible is actually filled with godly people who struggled in this area of their life. Abraham lived in tents for a very long time, moving to a new country where he knew no one. Noah was ostracized when he spent a century building the ark. Joseph was stuck as a slave and then as a prisoner in a dungeon for years in Egypt when he had done nothing wrong, all alone. David spent a decade running from King Saul, often living in caves. Elijah, running from the evil queen Jezebel, found himself uh, laying or sitting under a tree and he was so discouraged and felt so abandoned by the entire nation of Israel, he asked God to kill him. John the Baptist sat in a cell for months before his beheading, no doubt wondering why Jesus never came to visit him once. Paul languished in prison, waiting for his execution, abandoned by most of his fellow Christians, and he felt utterly alone. John, the last of the disciples to die, the revelator, spent his final years exiled on the island of Patmos, which was a lifeless, barren rock with no friends or no means of support. Of course, God was with all of them. We see the rest of the story in his word. He watched over them lovingly. He blessed Abraham and established a lasting covenant with him. Noah and his family, though they labored for many, many decades, God rewarded them and protected them, and they were the only ones to survive God's judgment on this world. Joseph became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt, second only to uh, the Pharaoh. David would become not only a great king, God used his family and his family line to bring us to the birth of Jesus. Elijah himself, extraordinarily asking God to kill him, and yet he would never die. It was Elijah who would leave this world in a blaze of glory, literally riding in a chariot of fire. John the Baptist would face death bravely, and along with Paul and John the Apostle, they are alive and well in the presence of our Savior today. But there's little doubt they all struggled during their lives, feeling separated and alone. Do you feel sometimes that God seems far away? So why do we feel as though God is not near? Well, I'm going to give you just uh, three or four 
thoughts this morning on what to do if you feel that way. For these men, and there were women as well in the Bible and throughout history and here today, that as you struggle, what should you do if you feel that God is far from you? Well, number one, immediately share it with God. Immediately share it with God. Jesus did. He quoted, I told you, Psalm 22, uh, verse 1, when he exclaimed this in chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Now what's important here is that you understand that Jesus is not talking about God. He's talking to God the Father. So if you feel abandoned by God, if you feel separate from God, far from God, or you feel that he's far from you, the first thing you should do is cry out to God and say, God, I, I, I want to be honest. I feel separated. I don't feel your presence in my life. So Jesus quoted Psalm 22, and I know I've told you before as I preached on Psalm 22 recently that... There was no Psalm 22 when Jesus was alive. It, wasn't, it, it was Psalm 22, but it wasn't called that. There were no numbers to the chapters. Those were added later. And in order to quote an entire chapter, you reference that chapter with the very first verse, which is what Jesus quoted on the cross. After the great miracle of crossing the Red Sea, do you remember that time? They were at a pinnacle. A peak time in the history of Israel, they had been slaves for 600 years and God had, had delivered them and they, they were now getting to go across the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptian army was drowned right in front of their eyes. God delivered them. They had a big party and they sang a, this special song right after they crossed over. Do you remember that? They then headed off toward the promised land. They didn't make it three days. Three days later, they ran out of water. And so they did what they always did. They started grumbling and complaining. They didn't complain to God. They complained to Moses. And what did Moses do? And I commend Moses for this. Immediately, he goes to God. He doesn't wait until half of them are dead. He doesn't wait until he can bear the complaints no longer. He immediately went to God and said, God, help us. We need help. And the odd thing was they actually, after three days, came to water. But do you remember? The water wasn't drinkable. It was bitter. Kind of almost like a divine joke. God provided water, but they couldn't drink it. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink is exactly what had happened there. So God made the water sweet again and they were able to drink it. So if you have a, a separation from God, you don't sense the presence of God, immediately go to God with that. Number two, claim God's promises. Claim God's promises. Jesus did that too. On the cross again, when he referenced Psalm 22, let me share with you verse 24. Psalm 22 goes from complaint and anguish to victory. For he says this in verse 24. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Jesus on the cross was declaring, 
Even though I may not feel the presence of God, I declare that I am not despised or disdained in the midst of my suffering. I am afflicted, but God has not hidden his face from me. He has listened to my cry for help. And he says, from you comes the very theme of my praise. And he says, before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. God on the cross was determined to fulfill his vows, to die for your sins and my sins. And he makes that victory cry from Psalm 22. Claim God's promises. God makes promises to bless us and to test us and to deliver us. And God keeps his promises. I read the story this week of a man named Harold Hudgens. He was a veteran of 10 major campaigns in World War II. He was the last survivor of his battalion. He traveled halfway across the country by train on one last mission in memory of his best friend who died in the war. He said, I had this on my mind for 57 years, trying to locate his sister and loved ones out there in California, said Hudgens. Part of him, my friend, he says, lives in me. Hudgens from Albany, Illinois, and Mac McLean from Marysville, California, were best friends in the Army. They wound up together at Anzio Beach in Italy, a scene of one of the bloodiest battles of World War II. Mac had a premonition that he would make, not make it out of their lives, so he gave Harold, his best friend, some mementos, a belt, some photos, and he said, give this to my sister. Tell her that I love her, Hudgens recalls. He said, you can even uh, give her a kiss when you see her. Harold promised that if anything happened to Mac, his best friend, he would do what he was asked. One day later, Mac was killed on the battlefield. After the war, Harold looked for Mac's sister, but he never found her until Harold's daughter, many, many decades later, sent out emails to various veterans groups. Some California vets found Mac's sister, Grace, whose last name had changed while she was married, and that's why he could not find her. We have always hoped and prayed that we would meet somebody that would tell us about Mac, says his sister Grace. So on Thursday, Thursday, August the 2nd, at the place where his buddy's name is engraved in marble at the Veterans Memorial in Marysville, California, Harold Hudgens kept that promise he had made 57 years earlier, meeting Mac's sister for the very first time and giving her that kiss that Mac asked Harold to deliver, turning over those mementos from his fallen friend. For an old soldier who wouldn't give up his search for a buddy's long-lost sister, there is a feeling of mission accomplished, promise kept. And it may take time, but God always keeps his promises you, to Lord. you. you Number three, get up. Get up. If you feel that God is distant from you, don't just lay there. Get up. Isaiah offers us an interesting word from God after his judgment on Israel. He judged them and took them off into captivity for an entire generation in Babylon. His punishment for their sins was over. 
Their life of slavery had ended and it was time to move on. It was time to go back home and rebuild the wall under Nehemiah and rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel. Problem was, many of them wanted to keep wallowing in their slavery in Babylon. Many of them didn't want to come back. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 2, God addresses his own people and he says this, Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. There is a time and a place for you and I to shake the dust off of us and get up. Stop living in captivity. Stop wallowing in misery. God says you have and I have a responsibility in this relationship with him. It's not just one way. God says get up and come back to God. If you remember, it was the prodigal son that left his father, not the other way around. His father was still at home where he'd always been. He didn't quietly move when the boy left. He stayed right there. He was faithful, waiting for the son, longing for the day that the son would return. But the son had to decide to slop, stop slopping pigs and come home. He needed to get up and come back home. Lying under that tree, feeling sorry for himself, God sent an angel to Elijah. And the angel said, get up. For you and me, there is a time to get up, to climb out, to move on in our life. Lying at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus looked down at a paralytic who had been languishing for decades. And he said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. It was time for him to get up. On the road to Damascus, Saul was blinded by the presence of Christ, fell face down on the ground. And the first directive that Jesus gave to him was, get up. It was time for his name to change from Saul to Paul and God's will accomplished in his life. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was sleeping in a prison cell and God sent an angel that had to strike him in the side just to get him to wake up and he woke him up and startled him and the angel immediately said, get up, it was time to move on. So if you're struggling in your faith, if you're discouraged in your life, if you feel you've lost hope, in the name of Jesus, I say to you, get up, move forward. Lastly, draw close to God. Draw close to God. Psalm 139, chapter seven tells, uh, verse 7 tells us this. The psalmist says to God, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The psalmist is reminding us that God is not far from us. In fact, he's with us wherever we go because he's omnipresent. The good news from that is whatever you're going through in your life, God's there. God's here right now in this place. God is there. The bad news from that is that when you're doing things you ought not do, God's there too. When you're stuck in traffic and you're saying words you ought not say, God's there. When you're doing things in that Corvette you shouldn't do, God's there. So he's there in the good days and the bad days when we're doing good godly things and when we're doing terrible things, God is always there. 
And so the psalmist is saying, thank you, God, because I understand if I go to the highest place or the deepest depths in life, if I go to the far side of the sea, to the ends of the earth, God, you're still there with me. So if you feel separated from God, you might want to reconsider who actually did the leaving. Jesus confronts that very issue with the religious leaders of the day in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. He says this to the leaders, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Listen to what he says. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus says, you're separated from God, but it's not God that did the leaving. You left. Your hearts departed from God. It's funny how easy it is for us to leave God and then blame him. Jesus said, no, no. As far as their separation from God went, it wasn't a God problem. It was a people problem. I want to read from, for you uh, a, a short story, and this is the last thing I'll share before we close about how near God really is. It's about a man who took a flight one day and met somebody that he was not expecting to meet. And it goes like this. Right before the jetway door closed, I scrambled aboard the plane uh, going from L.A. to Chicago, lugging my laptop and overstuffed briefcase. It was the first leg of an important business trip a few weeks before Christmas, and I was running late. Not a good thing to be running late at the airport. I had a ton of work to catch up on, half wishing, half praying. I muttered, please, God, do me a favor. Let there be an empty seat next to mine. I don't want any distraction. That's the prayer I pray every time I get on a plane, is it not? <laughs> you're watching that aisle. You got an empty seat. You're watching the aisle, and you're watching them come down. You go, oh, no, oh, no, this one, oh, no, and they pass by. You're just hoping and praying there's going to be an empty seat. He says, I was on the, uh, the aisle in a two-seat row, so there was only one other seat beside him. He said, across uh, sat a businesswoman with her nose buried in a newspaper, no problem. But in the seat beside mine, next to the window, was a young boy wearing a big red tag around his neck that said, minor, traveling unattended. <laughs> that big red thing right there. Minor, traveling unattended. The kid sat perfectly, perfectly still, hands in his lap, eyes straight ahead. He's probably been told never to talk to strangers. Good, I thought. Then the flight attendant came by. Michael, she said, I have to go sit down because we're about to take off. Uh, but, she said, this nice man will answer any of your questions, okay? <laughs> Did I have a choice? I offered my hand and Michael shook it twice, straight up and down. Hi. I'm Jerry, I said. You must be about seven years old. I bet you don't have any kids, he responded. Why do you think that? Sure I do. I took out my wallet and showed him pictures. He said, because I'm six, not seven. And he says, I was way off. The captain's voice came over the speakers. Flight attendants prepare for takeoff. Michael pulled his seat belt tighter and gripped the armrests as the jet engines roared. I leaned over and said, right about now, I usually say a prayer. I asked God to keep the plane safe and to send angels to protect us. Amen, he said. Then he added, but I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid because my mama's already in heaven. 
I'm sorry, I said. Why are you sorry, he asked, peering out the window as the plane lifted off. I'm sorry you don't have your mama here. My briefcase jostled at my feet, reminding me of all the work I needed to do. Look at those boats down there, Michael said, as the plane banked over the Pacific. Where are they going? Just going sailing, having a good time, and there's probably a fishing boat full of guys like you and me. Doing what, he asked. Just fishing, maybe for bass or tuna. Does your dad ever take you fishing? I don't have a dad, Michael sadly responded. Only six years ago, uh, only six years old, and he didn't have a dad, and his mom had already died. And here he was flying halfway across the country all by himself. The least I could do was make sure he had a good flight. With my foot, I pushed my briefcase under my seat. I couldn't stop looking at the crumpled grocery bag on the floor by his feet. He told me that everything he owned was in that bag. Poor kid. While Michael was getting a tour of the cockpit, the flight attendant told me his grandmother would pick him up in Chicago. In the seat pocket, a large manila envelope held all the paperwork regarding his custody. He came back explaining, I got wings, I got cards, I got more peanuts. For a while, he stared at the manila envelope. What are you thinking? I asked. He didn't answer. He buried his face in his hands and he started sobbing. It had been years since I'd heard a little one cry like that. My kids were grown. Still, I don't think they ever cried so hard. I rubbed his back and wondered where the flight attendant was. What's the matter, buddy? I asked. All I got were muffled words. I don't know my grandma. Mama didn't want her to come visit and see her sick. What if grandma doesn't want me? Where will I go? Michael, do you remember the Christmas story? Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Remember how they came to Bethlehem just before Jesus was born? It was late and cold and they didn't have anywhere to stay. No family, no hotels, not even hospitals where babies could be born. Well, God was watching out for them. He found them a place to stay, a stable with animals. Wait, 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 Michael tugged on my sleeve. I know Jesus. I remember now. Then he closed his eyes, lifted his head, and began to sing, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Passengers turned or stood up to see the little boy who made the large sound. Michael didn't notice his audience. With his eyes shut tight and voice lifted high, he was in a good place. You've got a great voice, I told him when he was done. I've never heard anyone sing like that. Mama said God gave me good pipes just like my grandma's, he said. My grandma loves to sing. She sings in the church choir. Well, I bet you can sing there too. The two of you will be running the choir. <laughs> the seatbelt sign came on as we approached O'Hare. People started stirring in their seats like the kids before the final school bell. By the time the seatbelt sign went off, passengers were rushing down the aisle, but Michael and I just stayed seated. Are you going to go with me? He asked. I wouldn't miss it for the world, buddy. I assured him. Clutching his bag and the manila envelope in one hand, he grabbed my hand with the other. The two of us followed the flight attendant down to the jetway. All the noises of the airport seemed to fill the corridor. Michael stopped. Flipping his hand down from mine, he dropped to his knees. His mouth quivered, his eyes brimmed with tears. What's wrong, Michael? I'll carry you if you want. He opened his mouth and moved his lips, but it was as if his words were stuck in his throat. When I knelt next to him, he grabbed my neck. 
I felt his warm, wet face as he whispered in my ear, I want my mama. I tried to stand, but Michael squeezed my neck even harder, and then I heard a rattle of footsteps on the corridor's metal floor. Is that you, baby? I couldn't see the woman behind me, but I heard the warmth in her voice. Oh, baby, she cried, come here. Grandma loves you so much. I need a hug, baby. Let go of that nice man. She knelt beside Michael and me. Michael's grandma stroked his arm, and I smelt a hint of orange blossoms. You've got folks waiting for you out there, Michael. Do you know that you've got aunts and uncles and cousins? She patted his skinny shoulders and started humming when she lifted her head and sang. I wondered if the flight attendant told her what to sing or maybe she just knew what was right. Her strong, clear voice filled the passageway. Jesus loves me, this I know. Michael's gasped, quieted. Still holding him, I rose, nodded hello to his grandma, and watched her pick up the grocery bag. Right before we got to the doorway of the terminal, Michael loosed his grip around my neck and reached out for his grandmother. As soon as she walked across the threshold with him, cheers erupted from the size of the crowd. I figured family, friends, pastors, elders, deacons, choir members, and most of the neighbors had come to meet Michael. A tall man tugged on Michael's ear and pulled off the red sign around his neck. It no longer applied. As I made my way to the gate for my connecting flight, I barely noticed the weight of my overstuffed briefcase and laptop. I started to wonder who would be in the seat next to mine this time, and I smiled. When you're struggling this week, remember, God is near, and he loves you. Pray with me. Fathers, we come to you today. We, we want to say thank you for the fact that you're near. Always. You've always been near and you always will be. You're with us. Thank you. But we also acknowledge, like so many people in the Bible and throughout history, we struggle sensing your presence sometimes. We feel alone like Elijah or the little boy. So, Father, we ask and pray that your spirit would come upon us in power right now. And those who feel alone will feel your presence. Claim that promise. Know that you're near and come to you. As we're praying, no one's looking around. Have you been struggling? Sensing the nearness of God. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to feel near him. Today. And it may be you just want to come and get on your knees and say, God, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to come and get on my knees. I want to sense your presence. Maybe there's somebody you need to pray for that's been struggling in this way. Or maybe you want to give your life to Christ. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. How do I do that? Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with this fellowship so that God can minister through you, in you, through this place. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. Would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand, as you pray right now, you come.